couple of days ago, I received an email. Uh, now, you all may have received similar emails in the past, but I want you to hear it. Dear Sir, I have a client who is an oil businessman, and he made a fixed deposit of $26 million U.S. dollars in my bank, where I am the director of the branch. My client died with his entire family in Jordanian intervention in the Syrian Civil War 2014, leaving behind no next of kin. I propose to present you as next of kin to claim the funds. If interested, reply me for full details and how we are to proceed to close this deal. Thanks, Chang. Y'all think I should go for it? It, it's, it doesn't take a lot of insight to figure out that that's a scam, and we all get those every day, right? We get those through emails and texts and other ways. And, and a lot of times we have people who are trying to take advantage of us in more sophisticated ways. It's not always easy to, to find those things. There are a lot of people out there who would like to take advantage of us, uh, who would like to betray our trust. So, so it really does make sense to be suspicious and to be cautious about things to not just trust everything that's said to you. We all know that, right? Uh, I've told the story before, but thought of it a lot this week as I was preparing for this. When my daughter was in college, one winter she was driving back late at night from up near Indianapolis and coming home. And on her way home, her car broke down near Martinsville, along 37. And so it's late at night, cold, middle winter, uh, car broke down. Uh, she gets out to kind of, I don't know what she was going to try and figure out, but try and figure out what's going on. And a man in a truck pulls up and pulls up in front of her, gets out and tells her he's a mechanic, and he'd be happy to take a look at her car. So he does. He tells her he's figured out what's wrong. It actually needs a certain part. And he said, I'm actually a mechanic. My shop's only one or two miles from here. I'd be happy to run and get the part and come back and fix your car for you. Happy to do it. And so he said, and since it's so cold, if you'd like to ride along with me, you can ride with me to the shop. I'll get the part, and I'll come back. And my daughter, Kara, got in his truck and rode to his shop. He went and got his part, came back, fixed the car, and on her way she went. Next morning, she told me that story. <laughs> and you might imagine my response was not real positive <laughs> to that story. And she was surprised. She actually thought I would think that was just this wonderful blessing story. Uh, but it wasn't to me. Now, I, I can't remember exactly what my first response was. I'm sure it wasn't the best. But as I thought about it for a moment, one of the things I said to my daughter was, you know, Kara, I love the fact that you want to find the best in people. I love the fact you want to believe the best in people. It's just who you are, and it is who my daughter is. She just, she just really wants to believe people are good. He wants to find that in them and encourage that from them. I said, but Kara, you also have to own the fact there is evil and wickedness in this world. There are people who want to do you harm, and I want you to be cautious. I want you to think about that and own that reality and make better choices in those times. I am so glad this man turned out to be a wonderful, uh, good Samaritan. But this could be a very different story. I want you to exercise some caution. Caution makes sense, right? But the reason we tell people, I think the reason we should try to exercise caution and suspicion is not to prove that this is an untrustworthy world and we should never trust anybody. The reason we should exercise suspicion and caution is so that we might find those who are trustworthy, 
because we need to find those who are trustworthy. I say that because I really do believe we are designed, we are made by our Creator to be people who, in some ways, depend upon others, depend upon one another. We're designed that way. Scripture tells us we were designed to not be alone. We're designed to live in close connection, intimate community with one another, to depend on each other in some ways. Scripture especially tells us we're designed to depend upon our God. There are many ways we are made to stand on our own, to have strength and gifts that are unique to us and some ways to stand on our own. But to, to live in total independence, it's just a lie. It's a denial. We really can't do that. And even if we try to do that, if we try to buy into that lie that somehow we can be totally independent, depend only on our own strength, we would live a pretty small life. We really do need others. Matter of fact, researchers tell us again and again that when they've looked at infants, that infants need to be what they talk about being attached to another. For an infant to be healthy, to, to develop in healthy ways, they need healthy attachment. They need, they need people in their lives, important people in their lives that they trust, that they feel a sense of trust with. They don't need that just for relational and emotional health. They actually even need that for physical health. To develop physically in a healthy way, they need trusting relationship. We are designed for it. We need it. We're made for it. But the truth is, we also live in a world where people can do harm to us. Where people, sometimes even those closest to us, will betray our trust. 55th Psalm is a great example of that. 55th Psalm is where David is praying, and David is praying to God and saying, all around me there are enemies and there are wicked people who want to do me harm, God. I need your rescue. I need your protection. But then as the psalm goes on, David seems to say it, but all of that pales in comparison to what I've gone through with one of my closest friends. Because I've known betrayal by one of my closest friends. And there, David says, I really need rescue. I really need your intervention. Because nothing hurts more than that. Trust is risky, right? When you trust someone, you give power to somebody. We want to find those who are trustworthy, but no matter who they are, no matter when we do that, there's some risk involved. Because we are given power to them, and they could misuse that power and do harm to us. We need to trust, but I think it's kind of risky. Uh, the solution, I don't think, is just finding more control, and it's the one we want to turn to often. I just want more control. If I can just gain more and more control, but the lie is we just can't do it all ourselves. Uh, we really do need others, so we just depend only on me, be totally in control, totally independent. It, it just can't work. We really do need others, so I think the solution to that dilemma is look for those who are trustworthy. Give your trust to those who are worthy of that trust. It's a risk. We have to take risks. That trust involves that. But the only real answer is to look for the trustworthy. Uh, the Yale theologian, Miroslav Wolf, says that finding someone trustworthy requires a few things. He says three. He says, first of all, it requires competence with regard to the things in which we want to entrust them. So if I want to trust somebody to fix my car, if I want to entrust them with the repair of my car, I would like to know that they know how to fix cars, that they have knowledge about that. I, I trust my wife with more than anybody else I know. I'm not trusting her to fix my car. Uh, she doesn't have competence in that area. That's just not her area of skill. Most things, yes, but not that. I want to know they have competence if I'm going to entrust them with that thing, right? 
But he says there's a second thing they need. We need to know they're well disposed towards us. So somebody may be very competent, have the knowledge and skills to fix my car, but I know they don't really care much about their customers. They're really kind of greedy and selfish, and they don't care about others that much. Well, you may have the competence, but I don't trust you're going to use it for my good. Or maybe they hate me. Maybe this is someone who just doesn't like me. Well, I really don't trust that you're going to use those skills for my good, right? I want to know you're well disposed towards me. Third, he says, we need to know it's not likely that they'll lose their competence and their disposition towards us. This, there's some reason to believe it'll continue. So I may say this person's competent to repair my car. I think they kind of like me. I can trust them with that. But the guy's a drunkard, and I'm not sure tomorrow he's going to be competent and he's going to even think about me because he's going to be blown away drunk, right? I want to know this is going to continue on, and there's reason to believe that that will continue on. Uh, I need those things if someone's going to be trustworthy. So I want you to think about those as we think about this story of Jesus and his disciples in, this, in that boat during that storm. The thing that seems to be true is they seem to trust his competence. They seem to trust he is competent to do something in the midst of this crisis that they find themselves in. And it's a real crisis, right? Because what we know of them is that many of them were experienced, accomplished sailors. They were fishermen. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Sea of Galilee is a place where they, they knew those waters. This is where they often fished. So again, for them to be terrified, it had to be probably a pretty bad storm. They were in a rough situation, and we're told... You know, Mark, Mark goes in great detail. Matter of fact, it's interesting. The detail he gives are the kind of details you give if you were a, an eyewitness, if you were someone who firsthand experienced this, because he gives these little unnecessary details through the story. Like, this is something I really know happened. And he tells that story. He says, you know, the boat was about swamped. I mean, we're about to go under. They are terrified. And they look over at Jesus, and he's asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat. He's just sleeping. And so they go over to him, and they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? But most commentators say that the, the words there really are a very sharp rebuke. It's not just, don't you care? It's, you know, it's the, don't you even care? Don't you even care we're just about to drown? I mean, they're, they're ticked off. They're letting them have it. You're, we're about to drown, and you think it's time for a nap. They've, they have seen him perform miracles. They have... They have walked away from everything they've known to follow after him. And you're sleeping while this terrifying thing is happening to us. You know, why, why won't you step up and take care of us? Like the disciples, I think this is where trust is sometimes the hardest for all of us. And Aaliyah, in, in a great way, pointed that out in her illustration. Where trust is hardest for all of us is when we face those situations where things are out of control and things are difficult... And we don't understand if God has the ability, the competence, the power to intervene, why isn't he? Why right now isn't he doing something? The disciples are saying it's, they want him to wake up because somehow they believe he's going to have either some solution or the power to solve it. That's why they turn to him. But why aren't you? And, and that's what we face a lot of times in life, Right? We may actually believe God has the power to solve things, the power to resolve these things that threaten us, to rescue us and to save us. But why, God, right now are you not acting? Why are you not responding with urgency? Because this feels like a crisis to me. This feels like something deserving of an urgent response. 
Why, God, do you seem to be sleeping right now and not doing a thing to resolve this for me? So the question for them seems to be not just, God, could you do something? Jesus, could you do something? But it seems to be, do you really care? Do you really care about the things that threaten me, the things that threaten my safety, the things that terrify me? Do you really care, and are you going to intervene when those scary things are happening in my life? Does it matter to you what I'm feeling right now? And they didn't seem to be sure of that. Matter of fact, they seemed to want to do what we often want to do, which is take control of it. Not just get him to wake up, but manage his response. Get him to treat it as something urgent the way they wanted it to be treated. Romans 8 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Because we know that. We know that's our God. If you know anything about God, you know that. He wants good for those who are his. And later Paul writes, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, not even death, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So is this a love you can trust? This is a love that will always be there no matter what's happening, no matter what the situation. I guess the question to us is, even if Jesus hadn't woken, been awoke, even if he'd slept through this whole thing, would they have been okay? Maybe even the bigger question is, even if they'd been, the boat went under and they drowned, even if they drowned, would they ultimately have been okay? Because they would have still been in the hand of their God, who is a loving God. Even death couldn't take them out of his hand or out of his love. Could they trust that? Now, so maybe they thought he was competent. Maybe the question again, like most of us, is he well disposed towards us? Does he really want good for us? Well, the thing about the disciples, if you stop and think about it, these disciples saw him and knew him and lived with him. They watched him. They looked face to face into pure love. They looked in the eyes of one who absolutely is the source of love. It's hard to imagine they didn't know that this was one who cared about him, whose love they could trust. They saw it. They have evidence that's just unbelievable before them. In his actions towards them and his actions towards others, they saw it again and again. He is love. Can his love be trusted? Yet even they didn't have some of the evidence that we have because they didn't have the evidence of the cross. They didn't have his love on full display the way we do. That on the cross, we truly saw that, yes, this is a love that can be counted on. This is a love that you can trust. He absolutely is well disposed towards us. We see it in what he was willing to sacrifice. So maybe the question again, maybe, maybe it really was they're not so sure about his competence. Maybe that's our struggle. Okay, maybe he loves us, but would he, could he really do something about it? Well, he answers that question with an exclamation mark, right? Because in the face of that question, does he have the power, the competence to do something about it? He simply says to the waves, quiet, be still. He doesn't pray to the Father to do it in this case. Often does, but not in this case. In this case, he simply speaks the words. In fact, Mark tells us he, he rebukes the wind and the waves. He rebukes it. He kind of speaks to it the way you'd speak to a young child. You know, Come on, be quiet. But he actually had more, more power than I would have over a young child when I say be quiet, right? 
I, I don't really even get to control that. But he said, be still, be quiet, and immediately the wind and the waves go calm. In fact, I'm told that the words there depict a perfect still. You know, you ever been on the water and it's that perfect glass still? It's that kind of image. Suddenly, in a moment, just by speaking those words, perfect calm happens. Now, you might say, well, you have plenty of evidence of his power, his competence uh, in the things that have already happened. Matter of fact, he's, he raised someone from the dead. You might say, boy, that's the ultimate miracle. But we all know, you know, I don't know, maybe they weren't really dead. We've all heard the stories of people end up in the morgue and then turn out to be alive. Those are real stories. They actually have happened. Uh, you know, maybe they weren't really dead, and that's how he's able to raise them from the dead. How do you explain this away? How do you explain away in the middle of a raging storm that terrified even these sailors? He just says, be still, quiet. And immediately, a perfect calm. Even if it was just a circumstance where the wind happened to die at that moment, what's the chance that the, the seas go completely still and calm in a moment? And it happens. Boy, if you, if you question his power, his competence, uh, he just revealed, he revealed uber competence to them in that moment. Uh, I have the power to do anything that I choose to do. And they got it, right? Because in that moment, their response was, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What in the world? Who is it we're standing in front of? Even the wind and the waves... I'm told that one thing that the ancients had in common was they all believed that the sea was a place of chaos. It was even kind of a the location often of evil and wickedness. And the only one who could control the seas was the one who created it. That's the only one. And he did it. Without even praying to the Father, he spoke the words. And the seas went still, completely calm. He's the one who has the power to do whatever he will. And they got it. They were face-to-face with a power that they couldn't manage, they couldn't control, a power beyond their imagination. And we're told they were terrified. you think they were terrified in the storm? Who in the world is standing in front of me now? What kind of power resides here? They were scared. In fact, I think if we really thought of it, if we really understood the one who is with us, who is present with us, and the power that resides in him, the power that is his. What if we wouldn't be a little terrified if we really got it and really understood it? Because now I think they are asking the question as they've never asked it before. Is he for me? Is, is he well disposed towards me? Now I really want to know. Does he love me? Think with me. Do you believe he's the one who created everything and sustains everything? Do you believe he has the power to do whatever he chooses? Do you believe he is the very source of all knowledge and wisdom and goodness? Do you believe scripture when it tells us he is always watching over us and loves us with a deeper love than anything we could ever imagine? If so, we have absolutely found somebody worthy of our trust. This is someone who is trustworthy. Um, Will we choose to trust him? But you know with me still that even though you would say all those things are true and in your head you go, of course he's worthy of our trust. 
that when that is going to be hardest and when you're going to be tempted to say, I trust my own control a little more and my own power more, when you're going to be tempted to turn there is when you're faced with those situations just like those disciples where this thing terrifies me, scares me. I watch my kids and I see the things they're facing and choices they could make and I'm terrified of the direction they're going. I'm facing a situation in my job where I could lose work and I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I don't know financially how we're going to make it. And I'm terrified what's going to happen. I've just received news about my health. I don't know if I'm going to live through this. I've seen someone I love suffer physically and I don't know if they will stay with me. Whatever that thing is that makes us feel so out of control, that thing that threatens us, the very things we feel like we depend upon, and you don't see God right now stepping up and being urgent, responding in the way that you think he should respond right now. God, this is a good request. This is a good thing I'm asking of you. Do it now. And he doesn't respond in the way you expect him to respond. In those moments where you have to wait, where you have to sit in the uncertainty, those are the moments where trust is hard. Those are the moments where we really have to pull back and ask ourselves, do I trust God? Do I really believe those things I've said? Do I really trust him? Do I trust he has the ability, that he's here, that he's competent? But also, do, do I trust that he loves me and wants good for me? Um, those are the moments I think it is actually good to ask because those are the moments it's tempting to say, I will find another way we kind of like pretend ways of, of kind of feeling like we're trusting, right? We kind of like to turn to kind of pretend things and say, well, I'm giving trust, and I, I get to kind of feel like I'm trusting something beyond myself, but I, in reality, I'm actually controlling that thing because I don't really want to give away. I don't want to risk anything, right? So we do it in marriage. I'm going to trust my wife with something, but then I'm going to manage every single thing she does. Well, I'm trusting her. No, you're not. You just extended yourself in some ways. You're just lying to yourself. You're trusting you. You're deceiving yourself. You see that in Isaiah. It's, again, a story I've told before, but I love it. In Isaiah, one of my favorite passages. He says, you go and you, you cut down a tree. You cut this tree down and you take the wood and you chop it up and you take some of it and you burn it to cook your food. And then he says, you take some of it and you use it to heat your house. You burn up the wood, use it to heat your house. And then you take a chunk of this wood, he says to the people of Israel, and you carve it, you shape it into an image that's like some god that you want to worship. And then he says you literally bow down before this chunk of wood that you carved that's the same wood you use to heat your house and to cook your food. You bow down before it and you say, my God, save me. And he says you deluded people, deluded hearts. Don't you get it? That can't do more than you. That's not beyond you. You control it. It's just an extension of you. It is you. You're not trusting anything other than you. And the reason you're doing this is because you know you're not enough or you're not looking beyond yourself. You need more than you can provide for yourself, but you're lying to yourself and saying, no, somehow I'm doing that. I'm depending on something beyond me. No. We need to find one who is trustworthy who truly is trustworthy, 
and we need to risk trusting him. We will find none, we know it, none more trustworthy than Jesus. He's shown it to us again and again. He has the confidence, the power. He loves. He is well disposed towards us. And we have evidence again and again that that is consistently who he is and who he will be forever. We need to risk trust. So, I want to end with just a, what I think is actually kind of a good guide for doing this when we face those moments of uncertainty where, where we have to wait and trust because that's the hard time. I think Philippians 4, 4 through 7 kind of provides a good little kind of map, a little guide for doing that, getting through those moments. So let me read it to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So first, I think Paul's writing the Philippians. First, you know, breathe. Take a moment. Stop when you're in those difficult times. Stop. Rejoice in the Lord. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember his character. Stop in those moments and pull your attention for a moment away from the threat. So maybe those disciples on the boat looking over at Jesus and saying, who is he? What has he done? What is true of his character? What have I seen about his power? What do I know to be true of him? Matter of fact, what do I even learn about the fact he's sleeping? He's not threatened, right? He's at rest. He's modeling for them the very thing they need. He trusts his, his life, his safety to his father. He believes his father is well disposed towards him and is ultimately going to take care of him. And that's why you can rest. So stop and remember who it is you worship. Rejoice in the Lord. Remember the Lord is near. That one you're thinking about, he's right here with you, watching you, caring for you, taking care of you. And then he goes on and says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Just ask. Remember who he is. Pull back. Rejoice in who he is. Remember that he's near. Now ask. But ask with gratitude. Again, it's that kind of cycling back and forth all through it, right? It's, who are you again? What have you done? I can't trust you. Now ask. But wait a minute. I really can trust you. You really are a good God. I know that of you. I know it through the, the stories of Scripture. I know it through the stories of others. I know it through my own life. I know it even through your spirit testifying to my spirit who you are. I know I can trust you, God, and ask. I don't think the disciples were wrong to wake him up and ask when they were scared. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think we're encouraged to ask. Uh, but they didn't really ask, Right? They woke him up and they tried to manipulate him. They tried to shame him into action to do what they wanted done. Not, not control him. Ask him. Understand it's his choice. The timing's in his hands. The response is his. And I'm going to trust it'll be good. Good towards me. So I'm going to ask. And then finally... Paul writes to the Philippians, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. You know what we all want in the middle of those threatening situations? What I want? I hate that feeling of being scared. I hate that uncertainty. It is hard to live in. Especially when those things, when the response, I don't know when it's coming, when rest, I don't know if rescue's coming in this lifetime. I don't know if ultimately this is going to be an eternal rescue. Not in my lifetime. 
I don't know. And while I'm sitting in that waiting, I hate that feeling of fear. And I will do almost anything to get out of it. What he's ultimately saying here is, remember who I am. Ask me. Remember I want to do good towards you. Remember I can. I have the power to take care of you, and I will. And now, receive from him a peace that you can't produce in yourself. You can't by this denial and by creating this kind of phony trust and control, you can't ever produce that peace, and you know it. It's the kind of peace that under the surface you know it's a lie. You want the real peace that transcends anything this world has to offer? It's something he has to give. We've got to turn to him, give control over to him in those moments that we truly are out of control, and let him give us peace the kind of peace that guards our hearts and our minds, the kind of peace that reveals a gentleness to the world around us that says something is different here because God is in this and God is with me. He's the only one, I think, who can ultimately give that kind of peace. Let's pray. Father, one thing we all know uh, is that in every situation, you will not step up as Jesus did in that moment and calm all our storms. But Father, we're thankful for those moments that you do. We are thankful for those moments that you give us evidence um, that you really are in charge, that you really do have the power to do what you will, that nothing threatens you, nothing is outside your sight and your knowledge. And Father, everything that happens in our life, um, none of it's a crisis or a surprise to you. Father, in those moments, help us to truly believe have confidence in that, but also confidence in your love. Father, that we, as Paul prayed for us, would just come to grasp the width and the depth and the height, the length of your love for us, that we'd be gripped by it, that we'd believe it, and that, Father, we would know the kind of rest that can only come from you. I know there are people here right now today who are facing things that are terrifying, things that scare them. Thanks, Father, that uh, leave them feeling out of control. I pray uh, that you would grow their faith, grow our faith, that we would know the kind of rest that we can only find in you. In your blessed name, amen.